0: Welcome to Progressive News Network on Blog Talk Radio. I'm the producer and host, Janine Moloff, and this week we have some serious business. In fact, I just noticed on Face the Nation and shortly before that, President Biden was on the television with a special report uh, announcing that the Putin government intends to launch chemical weapons against the Ukrainian people you know, all the threats and bluster aside, Putin's going to continue, in my, in my opinion, to con- he's going to continue to lob bombs at maternity hospitals, children's hospitals. And yes, most likely he will use chemical weapons against Ukrainians, just like he helped Assad use chemical weapons against Syrians. And it won't stop until, at the very least, there's a no-fly no zone. Now, President Biden and the NATO countries are terrified that if they go through with a no-fly zone over Ukraine, that that will be the start of an escalation leading to World War III. I would contend that World War III has already started. It started the moment Vladimir Putin ordered his troops to to launch missiles at nuclear power plants. It just is. And the cowardice of the NATO nations as well as the Democrats under President Biden is disgusting. Make no mistake about it. This is only my opinion. In my opinion, this is 1938, and yes, Putin is Hitler. What more do they need? The Russian government, and really, the Russian government is Vladimir Putin. There isn't a single thing that an oligarch does or a general or anybody, including the Russian mafia, they don't do a single thing without Putin's blessing. So this is a, a genocide, an illegal genocide, crime, multiple crimes against humanity, ordered and orchestrated by Vladimir Putin. Period. End of story. Now this week's show deals with some side issues uh, that uh, deals with some side issues regarding this whole bigger issue of the illegal Ukrainian war that Russia has waged against the independent nation and the independent people of Ukraine. And if you saw our advert, uh, it's a continuation of last week. And this week I'm going to be talking about the Moscow Project. And this is Chapter 1, which is Trump, Donald Trump, in other words. Whenever I say Trump, it's the Donald. Uh, Donald Trump as a Russian asset. Okay, now for those of you who aren't sure, an asset isn't a spy directly. An asset is somebody who could be, for instance, a useful idiot that has been conned by another group to do things against their own people without knowing it, but an asset can also be somebody who benefits from sabotaging their own nation, as Donald Trump has done. So again, and there's plenty of documentation to back it up. So you know the introduction here. You know last week I again I discussed the dire situation in Ukraine and the possibility that Donald Trump as pres was groomed. Let me start again. And the possibility that Donald Trump was groomed to be a Russian asset. In other words, somebody to assist Vladimir Putin in what I think is his quest for at least partial world conquest. And Donald Trump benefited financially. Uh, I reported on how Trump shared last week, how he shared highly sensitive code word intelligence with the Russian ambassador and really damaged our national security in multiple ways. For those of you who are unaware, code word intelligence receives the highest level of national security. So for any president to share that information with a hostile, with represent, representative of a hostile foreign power as Russia is at the very least that's criminal malfeasance. It could be treason. You know, there's a lot of steps in between and a lot of additional documentation to determine exactly what charges Donald Trump should face. And I do mean face as in the present and future tense. So, as I said in the advert, Trump should have been impeached, and he was impeached, but he should have been removed from office just on malfeasance alone malfeasance due to criminal incompetence, but the GOP of Trump marched lockstep with their Fuhrer, Donald Trump, yes, I went there, and refused to remove him, even though, again, there is plenty of evidence that proves Donald Trump shared sensitive intelligence information with a hostile foreign power. What more does it take for GOP leaders like Roy Blunt to do his damn job? But again, that's what we're dealing with here. Um, So, again, these are serious issues that have been cast aside by a Republican party that's more concerned with maintaining power than fulfilling their duty to the Constitution. Because, again, that's all the GOP has to offer is criminality, they offer um, rabid xenophobia, rabid racism, rabid uh, religious bigotry, rabid misogyny. They, they, that's all they have to offer is hate, period. But we'll get into that in another show. So this week, we're doing a deep dive into the report conducted by, um, the Center for American Progress, and it's titled the Moscow Report. And again, this report details how Donald Trump was literally feted and groomed to essentially do Putin's bidding. Now, the report has six extensive chapters. And this week, I will discuss Chapter 1, the early years. Uh, going back to the 80s, the report clearly shows a systemic attempt, and looks like a successful one, to help an incompetent millionaire win the Oval Office. And then in successive weeks, uh, we will discuss the other chapters, unless something else uh, happens in the news cycle that I have to uh, probably go to another story, and then we'll come back to the Moscow Report. Now, I want to reiterate, this show is not Fox. We are the anti-Fox, and proudly so. So basically, if anybody thinks they're going to call in, and I know we had a previous broadcaster here that welcomed that, when I say I'm going to accept calls, I will announce it at the beginning of the show. I am not taking calls. So if you call in, know that I will recite your telephone number over the air because, once again, I'm not going to get into a debate with a caller that's going to monopolize time that PNN is paid for. You know, I will tell, you know, Republican and Libertarian uh, operatives and troublemakers, go freeload somewhere else, okay? You're not welcome here. And no, that's not a free speech attack, Free speech, according to the First Amendment, actually deals with the fact that the government may not censor. But as a private entity, yeah, we can decide who we allow on the show and who we don't deal with it. All right, so let's get into it. You know, we know that Putin has global ambitions, all right? He just does. And this ties in with, again, the Ukrainian, the war against the Ukrainian people. Um, This is an investigation into, the Moscow reports an investigation into Trump's suspected collusion, yes, with Russia. The report's particularly relevant as the world watches, again, Putin's army illegally invade Ukraine, conduct what can only be called a genocide. They aim at civilian areas, including bombing a maternity hospital and a children's hospital. You know, I I would tell Vladimir Putin, or I I think I'm going to start calling him Vlad the Impaler which is a reference to uh, a demon, the demon known as Dracula. Uh, I think I would tell Vlad the Impaler, you know what? It takes a special kind of sniveling coward to bomb a children's hospital. And I'm sure there's a special place in hell, just nice room being reserved in hell for good old Vlad. We can only hope. All right, so once again, Putin's global ambitions, and his relationship with Trump, again, with Russian oligarchs acting as proxies for the, for the Kremlin, granted Putin access to sensitive intelligence, like I said, I reported last week, in addition to controlling the U.S. response to Russian aggression. So from the Moscow Project, Chapter 1, this is how Trump was courted and groomed to become a Russian asset. Uh, it comes, this report, the Moscow Project comes from the Center for American Progress. Uh, and I'm going to read you something about the Moscow Project first. Quote, reading straight from it, quote, the Moscow Project is an initiative of the Center for American Progress Action Fund dedicated to analyzing the facts behind Trump's collusion with Russia and communicating the findings to the public. The Moscow Project team, I'm sorry, the Moscow Project's team employs a multidisciplinary approach towards its work, leveraging a unique combination of experience and expertise gained on Capitol Hill at the State Department and in private industry to examine this complex and sprawling series of events stretching back decades. Vladimir Putin is nothing if patient. If not patient, that is. Okay. So the Moscow Project. Chapter one, it is aptly titled, quote, Bailed out by Russia. Now, you have to think about this. Even people that think Donald Trump is the best thing since sliced bread, by the way, people who think that uh, obviously must enjoy their frontal lobotomies, but it's not true, okay? Take a sip of tea here. So the first chapter, love the the headline. Bailed out by Russia. Okay? And this is a... um, a time period, they studied from 1987 to, like, 2017, no, actually, probably closer to 2019, anyway, it's the present day, so it's a long one, the first grouping is 1987 to 2014, and it covers the fact that, okay, excuse me, Donald Trump might not have business in Russia during that time, but Russia had business with Donald Trump, and while Trump was in the White House, he tried to distance himself from this, and You know, it's like anything with Donald Trump. You know, he he ham-handedly tells lies of omission, all right, where he just leaves out certain key facts. (coughs) Excuse me, folks. So we know Donald Trump was trying to get a hotel of his in Moscow dating back to 1987. And according to the Moscow report. They quoted, according to his book, The Art of the Deal, which, by the way, Donald Trump didn't actually write. He had a a ghostwriter, but according to The Art of the Deal, he, quote, he discussed the possibility with the Soviet ambassador, Yuri Dubinin. okay, end quote. Now, that's the beginning, but you have to realize something. The question about Trump's collusion with Russia before he entered the presidential race And after, it goes far beyond that, okay? Um, You have to understand that Russia used many different strategies to involve Donald Trump and to enrich him, okay? And, you know, Kremlin linked entities, if you will, acting as proxies for for the Kremlin. They invested quite a bit in Trump's properties and the fact that they did so, the, the report says that's, quote, not inherently nefarious, end quote. And to a certain degree, it's not. The problem is when you have a, somebody aspiring to be the president of the United States who then becomes president and really owes a sizable chunk of his wealth to Russian entities, Russian oligarchs, which, again, nobody can do business in Russia whether they be oligarch, general, whatever, without Vladimir Putin's expressed consent. So when you're in business in Russia, you're in business with Vladimir Putin, period. And so when you have a, an American president that owes quite a bit of his fortune to a Russian dictator, yes, now we have a problem, a major se- national security problem. Because of what the question of security professionals, whether you like or dislike Donald Trump, the question that any legitimate security professional must ask themselves is, is this president, in this case Trump, is he compromised? When push comes to shove, will he protect his own fortune over the national security of the United States? And these are very legitimate questions. Okay? And, you know, Russia has a unique history, too, because after the Soviet Union fell, you had a lot of rich Russians, according to this report, that invested heavily in, specifically in real estate in the West, especially here in the United States. Now, the report in the introduction goes on to say, though, when you have a president that's under several investigations for connections to Putin, to the Kremlin, then, quote, And I'm just going to read this. However, quote, in the context of a president under several investigations for his connections to the Kremlin, Russia's outsized role in Trump's reemergence from financial tribulations that nearly destroyed his real estate empire merit additional attention, end quote. And it goes on, quote, according to this report, quote, what emerges is the story of a man indebted to Russia through the oligarchs that Vladimir Putin helped create and now control, end quote. And it's not a hard conclusion to come to. You know, the Trumps themselves have bragged about how, yeah, they got a big influx of money from the Russians. You know, the report goes on to say that once Trump took office, he did try and distance himself from the Trump organization, but it was very superficial, and that is documented by the Hill. And he gave, you know, the daily control of the Trump organizations to his sons, uh, Donald Jr. and Eric. But Trump, while he was in office, still owned and profited from that organization. So that meant his money's still involved. It doesn't matter that his sons run the daily whatever. He still controls it. And Donald Trump's business um, profile, if you will, is he, like Putin, controlled everything in his business with an iron fist. So, of course, he's been bombed. all right? And this report goes on to say that, you know, before his political career, Donald Trump, uh, people that dealt with him, described him as, quote, exerting almost unilateral control over his organization, end quote, all right? Now, the Kremlin itself, especially under Vladimir Putin, has a long history of using what they call compromat, which is compromising information to essentially blackmail uh, public figures, politicians, whatever. And Vladimir Putin in particular has an interesting uh, profile too, because he spent pretty much his entire career in the KGB before he entered political office. And I would venture to say to the KGB, is notorious, all right. Uh, I would I would say that the KGB is the equi- Russian equivalent of the Gestapo. Okay, and once KGB, always KGB, and, and so of course Putin's probably uh, you know expert in the art of compromat, which is really call it, what it is getting dirt on people and blackmailing them. That's all it is. So you know, when you look at the question of whether Trump is financially compromised, it goes way beyond just that question of whether or not, you know, his, the Trump organization is directly in debt to Russian banks, you know, which, which Trump repeatedly denied, uh, again, according to the Washington Post. But yet Trump continually refused to release his tax returns. Now, That's one of the things that kept a lot of these investigations from really definitively coming to the conclusion that yes, Trump, you know, colluded. And you know, we know that Rudy Giuliani loved to say, collusion is not a crime. Well, yes and no. Collusion technically isn't a crime, but collusion becomes a crime when it is part and parcel of a conspiracy to defraud or commit other crimes. Okay? So, You know, once again, um, keeping his tax returns, I I think that every presidential contender should be forced by law to present their tax returns, all of them. And in a computerized era, it's not too difficult to produce. Uh, Furthermore, there is a way around this nonsense where Trump plays, you know, whack-a-mole and refuses to produce his tax returns. There is a field in business called forensic accounting. And forensic accountants, just they're experts at um, reading financial reports and tracing it back to source. Get together, that's my opinion, get together uh, teams of forensic accountants and go through the Trump organization's businesses with a fine tooth comb. You will find it and be willing to bet what you'll find and the report speaks to also is extensive money laundering for Putin. So let's go on, okay? So the president, well, not president anymore, thank God, but uh, Trump had many financial entanglements with individuals from Russia, and so there was a lot of opportunity to provide compromise, basically dirt to blackmail him with. And the Trump organization did engage in what they called questionably legal practices and many of them are outlined in this report, and that says documented by AmericanProgress.org in a report called Cracking the Shell. Now, the Trump Or to read this, I'll just read this aloud. quote, the Trump organization has repeatedly denied, both in specific cases and in general, that it has acted illegally or unethically in its business practices, end quote. Well, of course they're going to say that. So, you know, we're you're not going to find what's really going on by just examining each and every deal individually, all right? But what this report does, the the goal of this report is to highlight, quote, how dependent Trump's company has been on Russian money, again, as documented by AmericanProgress.org. And again, that's a fact that Trump is repeatedly denied. And the report also seeks to explicate. Or, or explain how the connections appear to really help create and lay the foundation for Trump's elevation in 2016 to the Oval Office. Okay, And these projects range from um, sources, to, quote, directly linked to the Kremlin, to potentially corrupt dealings in Azerbaijan and Georgia, to the allegations that some of Trump's Russian and Soviet buyers and business partners. Have used his properties as vehicles for money laundering, all of which could have generated the type of compromising material the Russian government is known to exploit. End quote. Now, the next section of this report, Chapter One, is a note to Russian oligarchs, and this really discusses in detail Trump's various business relationships with Russian oligarchs and as proxies of the Kremlin. Okay, so. For those of you that are unsure what a proxy is, a proxy is somebody or some person or organization that acts, they're representative of another group or another person, all right? It's a way of disguising, you know, where the source of the negotiation or the money is coming from. And this is really serious, okay? So, again, I'm going to read straight from this quote. A note on Russian oligarch. Um, lost my place here. Excuse me. Okay. Quote. This explains. Explains. I'm sorry. Let me start again. So this is how Trump's varied business relationships with quote, Russian oligarchs are proxies the Kremlin. Let me back up here again. All right. And quote. Why use? First of all, why use Russian oligarchs? You know, you got to wonder why not just have Trump deal directly with the Kremlin. Well, there's a reason for that. Quote. This is because Russian oligarchs, many of whom are former Soviet officials or hold positions of power in former Soviet states where the Russian government still holds significant influence, are widely considered an extension of the Russian state. Okay. Goes on to say, quote, still others are high-ranking executives at Russia's state-owned companies, such as the oil and gas conglomerate Rosneft or Russia's two states, run development banks, um, something that's known as B-Bank, Dineshkoma Bank. I can't pronounce it. All right, end quote. So this report basically confirms what some of us already knew about about Putin and the way Russia operates. Putin has multiple intimate relationships with oligarchs uh, individually and as a group. And he helps them accumulate their extreme wealth, but that's in exchange for their, quote, assistance on his political projects, okay? And, quote, as a result, they are sometimes described as Putin's shadow cabinet as documented by the New Yorker, okay? And this was an article in 2017, Putin's shadow cabinet and the bridge to Crimea, okay? Now, to some of you listening, if this is starting to sound like the way the Mafia works, that's because it is. Okay? Russian Mafia is involved in this up to their eyeballs. And um, so, anyway, domestically, the shadow cabinet really is involved in all sorts of things, including what they're called large-scale but, quote, ultimately unprofitable projects on behalf of the Russian state, end quote. And it goes on to say, for example, uh, let's see now. Let me start, go back here. So, um, hold on, folks, lost my place. I need new glasses. (laughs) All right, here we go. So the shadow cabinet, what does that mean? You know, when in terms of these oligarchs, they get preferential treatment, from Putin who controls everything, and in return for that preferential treatment that allows them to build more wealth than they normally would have, they get they give their assistance in quote in air quotes for Putin's personal political project. That's why they're called the shadow cabinet. And the report goes on to say, quote, domestically, in other words being part of the shadow cabinet, this often entails tearing out large scale but ultimately unprofitable projects on behalf of the Russian state. For example, Arkady Rotenberg, a construction magnate and Putin's former Judo partner, uh, often considered a key key member of Putin's inner circle, is widely seen as having having taken on construction of a bridge connecting Russia to the Crimean Peninsula as an elaborate and extremely expensive display of fealty to the Kremlin," end quote, okay? So Putin, just like a mafia boss, any mafia boss, he tests the loyalty of these oligarchs by demanding they pursue these very expensive uh, business deals that will fail. They will lose money on it just so they can still stay in Putin's good graces. And again, the example of a bridge connecting Russia to the Crimean Peninsula as documented by the New Yorkers. Now, we know Russia took Crimea by force, okay? They claimed that these were Crimean activists that wanted to be away from Ukraine. Not true. Not true. At least not in my opinion. Anyway, um, I failed to see the importance of a bridge connecting Russia to the Crimean Peninsula. Why? So Putin could could send his tanks with more ease? I don't know. So the report goes on to say, quote, these oligarchs often act as unofficial envoys of the Kremlin's foreign policy, especially in Eastern and Central Europe, where they form corrupt business relationships with elected politicians that they can then leverage toward accomplishing Russia's goals abroad, okay? And the corrupt business relationships part, that there's a publication, uh, the Conley Kremlin Playbook. It goes on to say, quote: Those who publicly oppose or simply fail to comply with Putin's wishes often face severe financial repercussions. End quote. It goes on to say, quote: Most famously, in 2003, Mikhail Kodorovsky a excuse me, at the time Russia's wealthiest man, if you recall, was arrested for tax evasion, had his assets seized by the Russian government, and was forced to appear in court in a cage. It's punishment for its political opposition to Putin. I remember that story. And that's just documented by the NewYorkTimes.com. Okay, so what you have here is a government in Russia run by criminals. All right, really they're, they're run by the mafia. And Putin may be, quote, permanent, what was it president? Putin may be president for life in Russia, but he's a mafia boss, basically. And and then just the whole idea of president for life. Talk about, you know, an oxymoron. Presidents aren't supposed to be there for life. Okay? But I think the irony is, escapes good old Vlad. But when you have that kind of entrenched uh, corruption that's official in business, you basically have a system where private citizens feel coerced to do what the government says upon pain of either financial ruin or you know, criminal prosecution. And since Trump received an infusion, massive infusion, hundreds of millions of dollars of, of money during his financial woes from Russian business interests, yeah, we have to scrutinize the Trump organization's business ties then. And that includes not only with the Kremlin, but also with the oligarchs. Can okay, we just do? Because basically, there's a pattern here where it appears that Donald Trump entered into this this, uh, alliance, if you will, financial alliance, where, you know, the Kremlin pumped hundreds of millions of dollars into his losing business propositions. You know, no oligarch will give hundreds of millions of dollars and not expect something back in return. And since the the oligarchs are directly connected to Putin, then, yeah, we have to really continually investigate the Trump Organization in its entirety, okay? So the Moscow Project, we're going to find, there's a more thorough exploration of what I'm describing here, and that is in the Moscow Project's February 2018 report. titled, Cracking the Shell, Donald Trump and the Corrupting Potential of Furtive Russian Money. And we will talk about it another time, not today, though. So let's talk about the early years. How did all this start? Okay? How did somebody like Donald Trump, who can barely put together a sentence that's the equivalent of an eight-year-old child, how did he become president of the United States? I mean, as much as I detest the Republican Party, and I do, in the very least in the past, when they pushed presidential contenders, these were well-educated, intelligent people. All right? But now we have somebody that, you know, his competence is questionable at the very least. Let's look at the early years. Okay? Ah, lost my place again, folks. Hold on a second. This is a live broadcast, so there are going to be some hiccups along the way. We start again. The report goes into the next section: the early years, Trump's business and trouble. Now, a lot of Trump's businesses um, were in some severe problem; they were on the verge of collapse in the '90s. In fact. Um, the report details how Abraham Wallach, who became, um, excuse me, became the Trump Group's executive vice president for acquisitions in 1990, quote, compared joining the company to quote, getting on the Titanic just before the women and children were moved to the lifeboats. End quote. And that is documented by New York Times. So in 1990, the Trump Group, the Trump Organization was some $3.4 with a B, in debt. And that's as documented again by the New York Times. Trump himself was personally liable for over $800 million. Now, the next year, several Trump hotels and casinos, they were in debt also. Um, It pretty much went belly up. The New York-Jersey Casino Control Commission concluded, uh, according to Fortune.com, that, quote, Mr. Trump cannot be considered financially stable, end quote. In 92, Trump defaulted on the debt of his airline, the Trump Shuttle, according to Fortune.com, and he turned it over to U.S. Airways. Now, Trump himself um, will tell you that his fortunes, if you will, miraculously changed in 1995, and that's as documented again by Fortune.com, Hardly a bastion of liberal thought, and that's when Trump Hotels and Casino Resorts, and that's the company that that Trump owned and operated most of the Atlantic City properties as well as elsewhere. They held what's called an initial public offering. Okay. Now that's according to Trump, but that's not exactly true. Trump's um, financial disaster kept going. Trump himself claimed in Vanity Fair, um, as he was talking to Edward Klein, the IPO, the, in other words, this initial public offering, would probably raise $4 billion with a B. And, of course, usual Trump's usual bragging. Fact is, it only managed to raise $140 million, and that's according to MarketWatch.com. And they found that according to his tax returns from that year, as reported by the New York Times. And that particular tax return is like the only one of Trump's returns that was revealed to the public. Now, Trump himself uh, said he had a loss of almost 916 million. His businesses kept struggling. Uh, the casinos posted 66 million in losses by um, the end of '96. They had another 42 million of losses in '97. Now, the New York Times. Um, Investigating discovered in 2018 that Trump wouldn't have survived fin, wouldn't survive this period of great loss financially, ex, except he wouldn't have survived financially, but his father, Fred Trump, kept bailing him out. Okay. Um, but not only did Fred Trump loan the Donald millions of dollars, in other words, bailing him out, but, quote, according to his report, quote, also helped to orchestrate massive, likely illegal tax fraud schemes to hide those transactions from authorities, end quote. Now, the safety net disappeared in the late 90s, okay, according to New York Times, and that coincided with when uh, the Donald and his siblings took over the family company in 97, and then finally when his father died in 99. Now, Trump's Financial struggles kept going. His flagship companies declared bankruptcy, according to Vanity Fair, in 04 and 09. Trump resigned from his position as head of the board of Trump Entertainment Resorts in 09. Making his financial problems worse was the Wall Street stigma that Trump's business failures brought about. So The Guardian reported uh, that in the 1990s, quote, Wall Street banks, which had previously extended them credit, turned off the tap, end quote. The New York Times reported that bankers even had a phrase that they used when they referred to um, excuse me, when they referred to Donald Trump's many failures. They called it quote, the Donald risk, end quote. In 2013, one banker told the Atlantic, quote, if a major institution in New York, whether it was a Chase or a Goldman or a law firm or something, wanted to have a building built, I can give you almost 100% assurance that Donald would not be on the list, end quote. So the report asked then, how in the world was all these failures? No bank would touch them. How in the world did 15, 15 Trump-branded projects begin and break ground between 98 and 2012? Okay. And, again, we still don't know what is all in Trump's full financial picture because he has continually refused to release his tax returns, and that's according to the Wall Street Journal. So, again, one of the things you could do is a, a specially trained team of forensic accountants could discover the facts, and I really wish they would get to it. All right? Well let's get on further with this. The public record, though, isn't the only source of information. You don't have to look any further than Russia. Excuse me. Uh, Sorry, technical problem here. You don't have to look any further than Russia, Vladimir Putin, and the oligarchs. So the Russian economy collapsed in 98. You think, okay, well, then where'd the money come from, Right? Well, well, the Russian economy collapsed in 98, and the average person was suffering. The oligarchs weren't. So the oligarchs in Russia that really credited their fortune to buying up all these formally state-held assets, they wanted to make sure the public didn't know too much about it, so they wanted to stash their money in international real estate, and that's according to NewRepublic.com. And the article is Trump's Russian Laundromat, Trump Tower, Luxury High Rises, Dirty Money, International Crime Syndicate. Okay. For those of you who don't know what money laundering is, when you have received money that was money that was credited to illegal gains, you look to buy something that is legal and then it goes through several different washes. In other words, one legal entity you sell, buys it up, and then another one, and then another one. And by the end of the process, it's much harder to trace the illegal, the original illegal money to source. Okay. And one of the red flags of mo- of money laundering operation is when you buy uh, a high priced asset like a house, condominium. An office building a car and you buy it with cash okay anybody knows you know you buy it with cash there's really no way to trace it okay and the Trump organization was looking pretty promising for that okay it already had a reputation for what are called lax reporting standards again as reported by the New Yorker so several um, Trump branded projects you know, I guess what he was selling was his, his name from 1998 on, quote, receives significant financing from sources with ties to Russia, most notably the Bayrock Group, which is a real estate company headquartered in Trump Tower and founded by the Kazakhstan-born former Soviet official sikh Arif and Deutsche Bank one of the few major financial institutions to still lend to Trump and which paid 630 million in penalties in 2017 for involvement in a $10 billion dollar Russian money laundering scheme. Now this is really critically important. It isn't just the Bayrock Bay group, Deutsche Bank, okay? No other bank would lend to them. So why would Deutsche Bank lend to Donald Trump? And for a long time, when these stories kept breaking, the media kept going, well, I guess Deutsche Bank saw some promise or something. No, that's not it. That's not it at all. Deutsche Bank has very, shall we say, intimate relationships with Vladimir Putin. Okay? So... Let's go on here. Again, this is a, um, a live broadcast, so we have some hiccups. So Russia really did provide buyers for Trump-landed real estate. And Trump and his, his, his uh, grown kids have clearly stated that openly. Now, there was a Bloomberg investigation uh, into Trump World Towers. And that broke ground in 98, which said, quote, a third of the units sold on floors 76 through 83 by 2004 involved people or limited liability companies connected to Russia and neighboring states, end quote. Reuters also reported that, quote, at least 63 individuals with Russian passports or addresses have bought at least $98.4 million worth of property in seven Trump-branded luxury towers in southern Florida. End quote. And of course, Donald Trump doesn't care where the money comes from; it's money. Now, there's more. Um, in 2013, there was an article in the Nation about the influx of Russian money in Miami, in Miami, the Miami area. Actually, uh, they noted that Elena Baranoff, who is a Russian-American socialite, once described on the cover of a Russian magazine as, quote, the Russian hand of Donald Trump, end quote. And um, she operated a real estate company out of lobby of Trump's international beach resort. They catered to Eastern European buyers, which again by itself is not illegal. I'm not saying that it is, not even implying it. But when you start tracing everything back to source, then the picture becomes more clear, okay? That's why money laundering is the, uh, I'd say, strategy of choice for organized crime. It is harder to prove, but it can be proved. So, again, these, these particular purchases aren't inherently illegal by themselves, okay? But here's a good example. And this is a good example of money laundering, in my opinion. So, Russian fertilizer magnate Dmitry Rybolovlev, he bought one of Trump's mansions in Palm Beach in 2008. And again, that's as documented by The Guardian, and yeah, The Guardian, and The New York Times. Now, get this: Good old Dmitry paid some 95 million for this mansion in Palm Beach. But that's $53 million more than what Donald Trump paid for it four years earlier. So, of course, the transaction has received some scrutiny from investigators because, you know, why would you spend $53 million more, more, more than half of what it costs extra for the same property? It's not a legitimate profit at all. Now, Donald Trump tried to justify the price increase, claiming he had gutted the house and spent $25 million on renovations. Okay, when you do the math here, it still doesn't make sense. And to make matters worse, Trump claimed he spent $25 million on the renovations, right? But there weren't any real apparent alterations. They just weren't. And so when you see this unexplained massive increase in price, that is considered a red flag for money laundering through real estate. And that is documented by the Washington Post in an article titled How Money Laundering Works in Real Estate. Now, Senator Ron Wyden, the Democrat from Oregon, um, went on to say that that individual transaction is one that several, um, several that uh, Special Counsel Bob Mueller was looking at and looking at it to investigate for, quote, potential money laundering or other illicit financial dealings between the president, his associates, and Russia, end quote. Mm -hmm. So, Dmitry Abolivev, the guy who's paid $53 million more for one of Trump's mansions, he drew additional attention during the final months of the 2016 election, and this is a document about the Charlotte Observer, because his private plane was spotted um, several days in Las Vegas and Charlotte. And it arrived within hours of Trump's arrival in either city. Now, spokesman for Dmitry Rybolivev said the incidents were just a coincidence. Trump's denied meeting Rybolivev. Um, a White House official, according to Business Insider, described any questions about this incident as a conspiracy theory. Now, I don't know about you, but if somebody's going to buy my house, to claim I never met them is a little silly, but it goes further. In November of 2018, um, Robolove was arrested in Monaco uh, as documented by Le Monde. And these were charges unrelated to corruption. Um, He pleaded not guilty. you know, again, it goes on. Trump Soho, which is another Trump project, broke ground in 2007. Um, much of the project financing came from the Bayrock Group. Again, it's documented by Bloomberg. And again, Bloomberg is hardly a bastion of liberal thought, okay? Um, many of the reported funders of the Trump Soho project included Arif, Tamir Sapir, and Alexander Meshkovich, and they all come from the Soviet Union and, quote, have reported ties to the current Kremlin, end quote. Okay. Some have also faced allegations of criminal behavior, uh, which range from money laundering, haha, to smuggling, to prostitution. Uh, and there's some examples. In 09, Sapir pleaded guilty, according to the Sun Sentinel, to, quote, illegally importing animal parts. Maskevich has been accused of bribery and money laundering for projects in Kazakhstan. The case was settled in '96. He didn't admit he didn't admit guilt, according to Bloomberg. Um, let's see what else. Oh, I lost my place here. Okay, so another one: Victor Krapunov. He had served before as mayor of Almaty in Kazakhstan. Went on trial. Uh, in July of 2018, get this, for, quote, allegedly purchasing condominiums in the building using money stolen from state coffers and laundered through a network of offshore shell companies while serving as the country's energy minister, end quote. And, of course, Krappenhoff's denied any wrongdoing. Okay, take a little tea here. What's going on? And I apologize, my voice is kind of deteriorating more I talk, but it's just the way things are. Don't you love asthma? All right, the next session is called the Russian Connection. Okay? So one of the most important connections coming out of the Trump SoHo issue is the Russian-American realist, real estate developer, Felix Sater. And I know you've heard that name in the news quite a bit. And he had formerly served, quote, as the managing director of the Bayrock Group. Now, Seder did serve a year in jail in the 90s because he stabbed a man in the face, stabbed a man in the face with a margarita glass. Wow. Sater went on to become an FBI informant in Moscow, according to Vanity Fair. Quote, after pleading guilty to involvement in a $40 stock fraud scheme orchestrated by the Russian Mafia. The records for the conviction have since been sealed, end quote. Which, again, makes them look more guilty. Why would you seal the public records? But think about that again. Felix Sater was formerly the managing director of the Bayrock Group. This is a group that Trump has done a lot of business with. And... Then he went on to become an FBI informant in Moscow after he pleaded guilty to a $40 million stock fraud scheme. And it was a stock fraud scheme that was orchestrated and planned by the Russian mafia, and the records have been sealed. Okay. Even the Russian mafia answers to Vladimir Putin. Make no mistake about it. Now, Sater, according to this report, joined the Bayrock Group in 01, according to the Washington Post. He did help secure financing for Trump's Soho, according to Vanity Fair, quote, leaning heavily on sources linked to Russia, end quote. Then he left Bayrock in 09, but he kept an office in Trump Tower, according to the Washington Post, and he carried around these business cards that identified him as, quote, a senior advisor to Donald Trump, okay? Let's move on. Sater was also involved in an effort to involve to, to uh, I'm sorry, Sater was also involved in an effort to build a Trump tower in Moscow. This was during the early stages of the 2016 presidential campaign, and that's as documented by CNN. Um, and Sater apparently received a signed letter of intent from the trump organization in october of 2015 if that's not a flagrant uh conflict of interest for someone running for president i don't know what is now here's the most damning part this whole thing <clears throat> with Sater. he was quoted as saying this is about the whole moscow uh the trump tower in moscow that they wanted you know Sater got the letter Kim Sater also uh, allegedly emailed Michael Cohen, who was Trump's lawyer at the time, about the Trump Tower in Moscow, writing, according to the New York Times, quote, I will get Putin on this program, and we will get Donald elected. Our boy can become president of the USA, and we can engineer it, end quote. What more information do you need? I'll repeat it for those of you that don't want to believe it, okay? According to the Washington Post, the Trump Organization contracted with Bayrock, okay? They wanted to develop a high-rise in Moscow in 5. okay? The deal fell through, though. Now, Sater was, Felix Sater was involved in an effort to bring a Trump Tower to Moscow, according to CNN, and this was during the early stages of Trump's presidential campaign in 2016, 2015-2016. Sater even received a signed letter of intent from the Trump organization in October of 2015. It goes on to say, quote, in November 2015, Sater reportedly emailed Michael Cohen his longtime friend and the Trump organization's lawyer, about the project, writing, again, according to New York Times, quote, I will get Putin on this program and we will get Donald elected. Our boy can become president of the USA and we can engineer it, end quote. Do you really believe that that level of Russian involvement and that level of cash inflow came without strings? You know if you're stupid enough to believe the Trump's, then I have a bridge in Brooklyn I can sell you really cheap. It comes to come complete with unicorns and everything. So the deal fell through in July of sixteen, but Trump went on to become president unfortunately, but Michael Cohen has allegedly also offered Putin. The, building, the proposed building's $50 million penthouse, quote, as enticement as part of the negotiation, that's according to BuzzFeed News, end quote. So once again, um, it goes on to say, along with the email to Cohen, um, obviously Sater saw the developing Trump Tower in Moscow was really part of a bigger strategy. To ensure Trump's election, because it brought money infusion, Um, it goes on to say, quote, Seder was involved in an attempt during the transition. Get this. Quote, Felix Seder was involved in an attempt during the transition, in other words, the presidential transition, to influence the administration's policy on Russia, end quote. Looks like they're already compromised. And this really suggests that the Ukrainian invasion, in my opinion, was a direct attack on a democratically elected government, and the election of Zelensky – let me back up here. So this really suggests the Ukrainian invasion not only was a direct attack on a democratically elected um, leader, Zelensky, but a democratically run country, Ukraine, it really suggests that the Trump administration was implicated. Okay. It goes on to say that in January of 2017, both Seder, Felix Sater and Michael Cohen uh, re- worked with Ukrainian politician Andrei Artemenko, and they were supposed to deliver a policy proposal, according to the New York Times, to, quote, incoming National Security Advisor Lieutenant General Michael Flynn that would roll back sanctions against Russia. I'm going to repeat that one. This implicates Michael Flynn. I'm going to read it directly as written from the report. Quote, in January 2017, Sater and Cohen, that means Felix Sater and Michael Cohen, reportedly worked with Ukrainian politician Andrei Artemenko to deliver a policy proposal to incoming National Security Advisor Lieutenant General Michael Flynn That would roll back sanctions against Russia. Goes on to say, quote, under the plan, Russia would withdraw its troops from eastern Ukraine while Ukraine would hold a referendum on whether to lease Crimea to Russia. In return, the United States would lift the sanctions it had placed on Russia after the 2014 invasion of Crimea, end quote. So this invasion in Ukraine was coming no matter what. Now, Felix Sater has refused to comment on the matter. Can't say I blame him. You know, once you um, cross Putin or the Russian mafia, you're as good as dead, let's face it. So that happened. And then notice, Zelensky, the president of Ukraine right now, that's pro-democracy, Zelensky was elected in 2019 and the Ukrainian invention in the Ukrainian invasion in 2022. There's no small coincidence here. Okay? So, but if Trump Soho is not the only Trump group project that received funding from questionable criminal Russian sources. Okay? But the project again that again it bro- there's also another project here. Let me back up. So, Trump Soho not the only Trump Group project that received funding from from criminal sources in Russia. Uh, there's another example, and that's the Trump International Hotel and Tower Toronto. Um, in June 2017, they dropped their affiliation with the brand, and they're now simply the Adelaide Hotel Toronto, and that's just documented by the New York Times. Now, the project in Toronto broke ground in 2007, but it was so... It was in such such dire financial straits that the Toronto star described in 2017, quote, "Every investor lost money on Trump Tower Toronto except Trump himself. end quote. In fact, in 2010 um, it goes on to say, uh, after ex- mounting cost and a loss of investment, the building's developer, a man named Alexander Schneider, quote, received a sudden windfall when a then-unknown investor purchased an $850 million stake in Schneider Steel Company's upper restall. And that's as documented by the Wall wallstreetjournal.com. It goes on to say, in May of 2017, the Wall Street Journal revealed, quote, the source of those funds, a Russian state-owned development bank, no, I can't pronounce it, V-E-B, okay? So once again, you've got a Russian state bank, which means it's controlled by Putin, that bailed out another Trump project back in 2010. Do you really think that these people put out $850 million in that one purchase, and don't expect anything in return? Seriously? So the Trump group, they distanced themselves from the project. Uh, that's as documented by the Wall Street Journal again. And they claimed that Trump only had this small my a small ownership stake and that the company was, quote, not the owner, developer, or seller of the property and was not involved in financing and did not hold equity, end quote. And again, that's according to Wall Street Journal. Um, you know, once again, it is what it is. Uh, Schneider has offered contradictory reports in terms of how much money uh, VED actually gave, gave to the project. Um, Schneider's lawyer told the Wall Street Journal that, quote, $15 from the sale went into the property, but Schneider has since said, quote, he is not able to confirm that any funds went into the Toronto project, end quote, okay? Now, this report goes on to explain that the Trump Organization has pushed uh, multiple projects in former Soviet states, Okay. It goes on to say, quote, the New Yorkers, Adam Davidson, uh, wrote extensively on developments in Baku, Azerbaijan, and Batumi, Georgia, quote, where the Trump Organization has dealt with companies and oligarchs with extensive histories of corruption and ties not only to Russian entities, but also in Azerbaijan, ties to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, end quote. It's not just these projects that look bad for uh, the American president, but it actually leaves Trump, when he was president, open to accusations, quote, of abetting corruption abroad and demonstrating that the Trump organizations – okay, let me skip here. Let me go back here. New Yorker's Adam Davidson, he's reported that the Trump organizations dealt with companies and oligarchs, quote, with extensive histories of corruption and ties not only to Russian entities, but also in Azerbaijan, ties to the Iranian Revolutionary Guard. Excuse me. And Davidson also argues that those ties, it's not just about the specific groups involved, but also, quote, because they leave the president open to accusations of abetting corruption abroad, end quote. And they also show how the Trump organization, you know, has a tendency to cut short on any due diligence. All right. They're not, they don't really click with a wink and an eye. They skimp on it. All this together could expose Donald Trump and the Trump group, especially could expose, me back up again. Sorry, folks. In case you're wondering about this, like President Biden, at times, I am also a stutterer, so kind of grant me a little grace here. All these, all these issues I'm talking about right now, could expose Donald Trump to quote prosecution under the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act. Okay, and I agree they he should they should pursue it actually, even though he's out of office. Now, Trump had some other business practices in the two, early 2000s that also produced some red flags Uh, the red flags on corruption and other financial crimes. There's this relationship with Deutsche Bank. They were the only major bank that would lend to him. All right? In 2008, according to this report, quote, Trump defaulted on the $640 million loan he had received from Deutsche Bank in 2005 to build Trump Tower Chicago. Deutsche Bank sued Trump and was seeking an immediate $40 million. Trump then countersued a group of lenders led by Deutsche Bank for $3 billion, alleging that the banks had played a role in causing that year's financial crisis and were therefore responsible for Trump's inability to repay his debts. End quote. It goes on to say, quote, Two years later, Trump and Deutsche Bank settled, after which Deutsche Bank, to which Trump still owed hundreds of millions of dollars went back to lending money to Trump. Why would they do that? Makes no sense. Newsweek um, did a piece on it, and they said that Trump, quote, paid back Deutsch with a massive lifeline from Deutsch, and these Deutsche Bank loans rescued Trump after the 08 crash, end quote. By the time Trump was elected in 2016, get this, he owed Deutsche Bank $300 million. But it gets deeper. You think, okay, Deutsche Bank would sue him again, right? They did it. Deutsche Bank continued to lend money to the Trump group. Okay? And they did so very quickly, even after that big legal battle. And that battle that legal battle happened because Trump was either unwilling or unable to repay his debts. And the fact that Deutsche Bank went back to lending him money so quickly after that, it raised some very important suspicions, again, according to The Guardian. It's, it raised suspicions really about the source of the funds. And it also kind of reinforced the idea that Deutsche Bank, has ties to Russia, according to the New Yorker. And it gets further. I'll read from the report again. Quote, on January 30th, 2017, the New York State Department of Financial Services fined Deutsche Bank $425 million for violating New York's anti-money laundering statute. The bank admitted to, quote, a massive $10 billion, with a B, the bank admitted to a mass of 10 billion dollars of Russian. Let me start again. The bank admitted to a mass of 10 billion Russian money laundering scheme involving mirror trade, which moved money out of Russia to the West between 2011 and 2015. End quote. So, Bob Mueller's investigation into collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia uh, did subpoena records from Deutsche Bank and that's according to global.handlesblatt.com. Then the question you have to ask yourself is how much did then Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, you know, remember when the Attorney General Bill Barr had this abbreviated synopsis of the Mueller report. How much of Barr's basically abbreviating the report down to this, this little synopsis, how much of that may have helped cover up, the crime and Trump's involvement. And that's something we're going to start investigating later. So, you know, it goes on further. They give a little more background and they explain how, you know, for decades, Trump had this reputation as he was, Trump and his reputation, he was the self-proclaimed, quote, king of debt. He was proud of that fact and that reputation. That's according to the Washington Post. You have to wonder, how was Trump able to kind of stay financially solvent and keep defaulting on these loans okay well a lot of it had to do with daddykins bailing them out but also the Trump organization deals a lot in cash and that's another money laundering red flag so in the mid-2000s this report revealed that the Trump group began quote dealing in massive sums of cash as reported by the Washington Post, and this is something that is really uncharacteristic for real estate developers. Um, and you think, why would they deal in cash? Because when you deal in cash, you quote, you, base, you, you evade any sort of investigation. Cash is harder, you know, to trace. And so, according to the report, quote, dealing in cash can not only be – Quote, dealing in cash can be not only risky but also difficult as raising liquid assets for a company that deals mostly in real estate may require selling off properties and potentially invites corruption by sidestepping due diligence and anti-money laundering requirements that loans and banks introduce. And this is according to the Washington Post. Banks, when you take out a bank loan, there are certain checks. And one of the checks is to make sure that everything is kosher. Money laundering would be detected by a bank. Now, it goes on to say that when the Trump SoHo development was was undergoing, you know, was beginning, um, Eric Trump would, you know, again, brag that, quote, the best property buyers now are Russians who can go around without a mortgage loan from American banks they require income checks and they can buy apartments with cash, end quote, okay? And Trump didn't deny this fact, at least not initially, but then when he began running for president, um, he not only didn't deny it, he actually boasted about how much Russian money was going through his projects, And this was in multiple interviews. And his sons did too. In fact, um, Trump Jr., told investors in Moscow, according to USA Today, quote, that, quote, Russians make up a pretty disproportionate cross-section of a lot of our assets, end quote. And Eric Trump told a golf reporter in 2014 that the Trump group was able to expand during the 08 financial crisis because, quote, we don't rely on American banks. We have all the funding we need out of Russia. Okay, why does this matter? Well, here's the deal. Most real estate developers have a lot of financial ties with multiple banks. They have to. And they have debts. But why is this important? Because according to the report, it's important because Trump decided to run for president. And apparently Putin and the Russians wanted him to. And the point the report brings up is this. Quote, aside from questions about the Foreign Corrupt Practices Act and Trump's repeated lies about his involvement with Russia since he began running for president, those deals wouldn't necessarily be suspicious, but most real estate developers with, with extensive financial ties and possibly debts to a hostile foreign power do not then run for president. Most presidents do not evince such unprecedented obeisance to a hostile foreign power. And most presidents do not require the appointment of a special counsel to investigate whether the president's campaign conspired with that nation's government, end quote. And this is really a big, important thing. Donald Trump could have evaded a lot of these suspicion if he hadn't run for president. But once again, remember, Putin and Russian oligarchs, especially Putin, they wanted Trump to win. That was their boy, and as it turns out, Hillary Clinton was telling the truth. <clears throat> now, I'm not a fan of Hillary Clinton's necessarily. Nothing personal against her. Uh, in fact, when she, you know, made the clip when Bill was running for first time for president, that she wasn't going, she wasn't like Tammy Wynette standing by her man baking cookies. I loved her sassiness. Make no mistake about it. My problem with Hillary Clinton is. Strictly neoliberal fiscal policy, nothing else. If Hillary had run as a true progressive, I would have been fine. But she decided to follow those neoliberal, these neoliberal financial policies, which are no different than the old trickle-down garbage. Okay, And I'm tired of being trickled on. In fact, huh, I'd like to send a, a, a kettle of trickle Vladimir Putin's way. You know I'm talking about piss. Okay. Anyway, it is what it is. So that was chapter one. And you know, while Donald Trump and the Trump group can do business with whomever they want, you know they have a right to do to do that. Those privacy concerns, though, come to a screeching halt the minute he decided to go into politics at a high level, namely the presidency. The issue of Russian financing, especially Russian financing for Deutsche Bank that is direct ties to Vladimir Putin, is a major conflict of interest. And when you combine that with various situations that an American president has to deal with, we have a formula for a massive national security emergency, and Donald Trump caused that. You know that Trump and his entire family owe their continued fortunes, Russian oligarchs, and let's be honest, no one, not even an oligarch, continues to do business without Putin's blessing. So essentially, Putin owned Trump, and that's why this is important. Next Sunday, unless there is a different or more critical need, we're going to talk about Chapter 2, which is titled Hybrid Warfare, from that same Moscow report. Now... Just when you thought, okay, maybe Donald Trump will just get too tired and just lay around at Mar-a-Lago and just shut his damn pie hole. No such luck. You know, we know he wants to run again. God help us. And earlier, basically earlier in the day, he was at a rally in Florence, South Carolina. And this is an article written by David Badash from the New Civil Rights Project. It ran in, in several different publications. And the headline is, get this, TV terrorist Donald Trump lasted for telling followers they must lay down their very lives to defend against CRT, critical race theory. Now I know in Florida, you have Governor DeSantis who hates critical race theory as much as he hates vaccines. First of all, there is absolutely no K-12 through school that teaches critical race theory. It is a graduate-level course of study, all right? But when they're talking about CRT, what they're really talking about, they're railing against teaching the truth about history. They want to whitewash the history of this nation, and the fact is this nation was built on the backs of black slaves. You can't escape that. It was the fortunes were further built after slavery with through Jim Crow laws. Racism is a big part of the United States. You can't avoid it. And Trump is once again um, riling up his rabid followers, and it just shows that the GOP has become the party of white supremacy and neo-Nazism, period. But the fact that he's now calling on his followers to lay down their very lives to defend against teaching the truth about history, he's calling critical race theory, this is really inciting for a civil war. Make no mistake about it. You know, keep in mind, it's been a little over a year since the January 6th insurrection, and it was an insurrection. They intended to overthrow the government with Donald Trump's blessings one of his lead attorneys John Eastman knew that this was illegal and yet they they pushed on you'll see a lot of republicans again here in Missouri Roy Blunt he'll call out January 6th saying well anyone who did a committed a criminal act should be prosecuted but he won't Roy Blunt will not condemn Donald Trump which makes me wonder about Roy Blunt now Trump told his MAGA idiot supporters, quote, getting critical race theory out of our schools is not just a matter of values, it's also a matter of national survival, end quote. He went on to say, quote, we have no choice. He said, quote, the fate of any nation depends upon the willingness of its citizens to lay down, and they must do this, lay down their very lives to defend their country. If we allow the Marxists and communists and socialists to teach our children To hate America, there will be no one left to defend our flag or to protect our great country or its freedom, end quote. Okay, that's a declaration of war, period. And it came from Donald Trump, but it is just a less sophisticated version of the same kind of speeches that Adolf Hitler gave, period. End of story. And this is inexcusable, all right? he You know, Trump incited January 6th, and he has yet to be criminally charged. And he's inciting a civil war once again. And this is something that is outrageous. And there was backlash from it, all right? Um, let's see now. Conde last legal affairs editor, Luke Salisky, went to say, quote, Trump doesn't want a political party, he wants an army. He's a TV terrorist, yes, but he's also a real fascist. Attacking the Capitol, waiting, calling it off, then telling them he loved them after they terrorized the country and got his message across was kind of an folks, end quote. Zaleski added also, quote, Trump is a traitor and political mob boss, and I say, amen, brother. He is. Why, a little over a year later, Trump is still not, been served with a criminal indictment, I'll never know. I do not understand our Attorney General Merrick Garland. I do not know what he is waiting for. Trump is a goddamn Nazi. Period. He was involved in the planning. And there's more evidence. and the more evidence we Trump was involved personally in the planning of January 6th and the implementation where he instigated and incited for his followers to not only overthrow the government by just tossing out the results of the election, but he also incited his followers to commit murder, threaten and murder uh, uh, public officials, which in and of itself is a felony. How is it that comedian Kathy Griffin can tell a joke about Trump And produce what is obviously a mannequin's head that's been severed off. She gets visited by the FBI, and she's threatened with criminal prosecution for a joke. But Donald Trump and his followers—they can incite overthrowing the government. They can incite basically—they can incite murder of public officials. And the little people are being uh, indicted and and prosecuted, and and. um, convicted but Donald Trump hasn't been and that's outrageous Merrick Garland either needs to do his job or President Biden needs to get a different attorney general somebody who will actually commit to doing the job and if if we didn't need her in the Congress I can think of the perfect uh, perfect person for Attorney General and that's u.s representative Katie Porter She's a law school professor, and she always does her homework. Every one of them, Steve Bannon, Trump's grown kids, Donald Trump his, himself, his lawyers, uh, Giuliani, Eastman especially, every single one of them should be criminally indicted. Their passport seized from them. Their assets frozen. And in some instances, perhaps denied bail. That's it. They committed treason. What does it take to get Merrick Garland to do his job? If he's too cowardly to do it, then get someone who will. Merrick Garland wasn't there when members of the U.S. House were trapped. He wasn't there. My own U.S. Rep, Cori Bush, it was her first week in office, and she had to be sequestered in her office because these people intended to commit murder. Make no mistake about it. They erected a functional gallows. What does it take? That's not free speech, and that's not peaceable public assembly. In fact, you can't, and to compare it to Black Lives Matter is a false equivalence. That is not the same thing. These people intended to commit treason. They didn't like the results of the election. Even former Attorney General Bill, Bob Barr, I'm sorry, Bill Barr, who worked under Trump, said there was no election fraud. Biden won. And still this goes on. This is a direct appeal to not only the representatives in Florida, but to President Biden. If Merrick Garland won't do the job, please get somebody more aggressive who will. not just the foot soldiers. But the top ringleaders, Steve Bannon, John Eastman, his grown kids, every and Trump himself, every single one of them, one, should be served with criminal indictments immediately. Two, their assets should be frozen, all their assets. Three, their passports should be frozen so they can't escape. And a few of them probably should be denied bail. That's it. That's it. So you know, once again this is what we're dealing with. <laughs> Excuse me. Sorry to lose my voice here. <clears throat> and now we still have the GOP of Trump that are going there and these GOP hopefuls, they go down to Mar-a-Lago, they kiss Trump's ring. I'm aware of the mafioso reference. It was not accidental, it it was planned. They kiss Trump's ring. And they tell him that everything, every piece of verbal excrement that comes out of his demented mouth and his equally demented brain is somehow pure gold. Okay? These are the same gop that are going along, and the President, President Biden's going along with it in refusing to implement a no-fly zone over Ukraine. And I do, just to show that I, I don't just rubber stamp whatever the democrats do. I disagree with President Biden on this. So this is um, kind of leading into our jackass of the week segment. Recently, last week, there was a Zoom call and some 280 uh, senators and congressmen were involved in a Zoom call with President Zelensky. Now, the U.S. ambassador from Ukraine to the United States explain, please, during the Zoom call, do not take photos, do not post to social media. It may compromise President Zelensky's safety and identify his location. Now, of course, two of them, both Republicans, Republican Senator Daines from Montana, and yes, Florida Senator Marco Rubio decided to break that rule. They took photos, they posted to Twitter. Now, Marco Rubio, who's Running for re-election in Florida, his like Democratic opponent will most likely be Val Demings, who condemned this. Um, Rubio claimed that you know he they were they received that in that uh, that direction not to photograph and post social media after the call had begun and after he had already taken photos, which isn't just a lie; it's an incredibly stupid lie. The Russian ambassador was, I'm sorry, the the U.S. ambassador from Ukraine was very clear before everybody got on the call, period. And yes, to Senator Rubio directly, yes, when you post to social media during a Zoom call, which isn't the most secure necessarily, is it possible, you're wrong, it is possible to trace somebody's location to source. So yes, Senator Rubio, you did compromise President Zelensky, and, you know, I suspect you did it to try and get in Trump's good graces. You know, this is an instance where, on top of which, Marco Rubio is the co-chair on a Senate Intelligence Committee. You know, if I were the Senate Majority Leader, Charles Schumer, the minute this story broke, Marco Rubio would be stripped of his chairmanship, and it should happen immediately. How in the world can somebody so clueless be a co-chair of an intelligence committee? Seriously, he should be stripped of his committee uh, chair. He just should. And furthermore, both Senator Daines and Senator Rubio should be investigated by the FBI to make sure that they weren't trying to compromise the um, location of President Zelensky, who is an ally. Make no mistake about it. Russia is not a friend. Russia is an enemy state. Ukraine is an ally. They're a friend. So once again, we've got this nonsense going on. We have the continued Russian war of aggression against Ukraine. We have Vladimir Putin. Again, at the beginning of the show I said this. I called him out as, as a coward, because he is. You know, Vlad the impaler authorized the bombing. Of civilian areas, including a maternity hospital and a children's hospital, and this is in direct violation of international law. Okay, so once again, I'm awarding the jackass of the week to Senators Daines and especially Senator Marco Rubio, and I pray that the citizens of Florida kick Marco Rubio to the curb, because that little whiny jerk, his response he compared it to censorship under uh, under castro well you know once again that's that's hyperbole talk about something that is truly exaggerated nobody was censoring senator rubio the problem is that the republicans want free speech rights but they only want free speech rights for the people that agree with them and they deny free speech rights to others but that's not the way free speech works, Senator Rubio. I don't believe in censorship. So the whole idea of cancel culture, which I think is actually an incredibly uh, stupid phrase, but if you want to call it cancel culture, I call it censorship. I don't believe in it. You know, Senator Rubio, you are, you're perfectly free to make any stupid, ignorant remarks you want to make. But the rest of us also have an equal right to offer rebuttal. That's not censorship, sir. That's called holding you accountable. And if you're going to whine about it, then, you know, you need to go back to mommy. Seriously. It's really that simple. And it's not censorship to call you and Senator Danes out on the fact that you compromised the, the safety of President Zelensky by that one simple little act. And you knew it, sir. Senator Rubio, you knew damn well what you were doing. So calling you out on it, insisting you be investigated, that's not censorship. That's not cancel culture. That's called proper proper national security procedure, and it's called accountability, baby. You are not a prince, Senator Rubio. You're supposed to be a U.S. senator, and all of you are supposed to be held accountable. That's it. It's really that simple. So the whole point of this report is that Trump is owned by Putin, period. The Moscow report, there's several chapters. We're going to go into it more. Details, how Putin and Russia owns Trump, how compromised he is in multiple ways, in in gory detail. There's no guesswork. Here. That's why you heard documented by, documented by because it's all there. We're going to be talking about it more. But Trump is owned by Putin. On top of which, just recently, you know, we found out he shared he shared coded word intelligence with Russian representatives. Now, code word intelligence, as I said at the beginning of the show, is afforded the highest level of security protection. Trump compromised our national security. And now Donald Trump's inciting for an obvious race war. There's no guesswork here. And all this is relevant because Trump may very well be the GOP presidential candidate in 2024. And face it, he's owned by Putin. He's owned by the Russian mafia. Are any of you that vote Republicans so incredibly stupid as to believe that Trump's receipt of Russian money comes without strings? By now it's clear Trump was a Russian asset. And he benefited very much from that relationship. The Moscow report is very thorough. Each week I will cover another chapter of the report. So now I want to end with just a few words about Ukraine and a plea, a plea to President Biden. Again, this show is live all right. It just is there. So nothing's edited out. This is exa- I'm sitting right here in front of my computer. Okay. I know that President Biden is convinced. Now I'm going to direct this to him. So I don't know if he listens or not, but President Biden, I, I know that you and your security, your um, intelligence pros, you're convinced that if we help Ukraine establish a no-fly zone, that it will trigger World War III. Sir, I would argue World War III has already been triggered. And it was triggered the minute Vladimir Putin instructed his troops to bomb a maternity hospital and a children's hospital and definitely instigated the minute Vladimir Putin instructed his troops to bomb nuclear power plants. Okay, The mainstream media has said, well, these power plants They can uh, operate on diesel generators for so many days. What happens after that, though? You know, you could have a Fukushima-type disaster. And Putin knows it. He knows it too well. The sanctions aren't enough, and the sanctions have enough loopholes in that you could drive an 18-wheeler truck through. I would say, President Biden, that There's too many big money interests, both in NATO nations and here in the U.S. They're okay with some sanctions, but not all of them because they're trying to basically scurry their money elsewhere. Well, to hell with them. This is 1938, and Vladimir Putin is Hitler. Make no mistake about it. And as an actual Jew who lost family in the Holocaust, I can say that. Mark my words, President Biden, if Ukraine falls, the rest of Europe is next. And I am not a proponent of the domino theory at all. But you don't have to look any further than a map to see the geography. Once Putin acquired Crimea on one end and Belarus on the other, you can see it's like a sphincter. And the only way they can go is west. Go march through the rest of Europe. And then the question is, how long? I mean, do Ukrainian lives mean nothing? I know what a no-fly zone is, sir. It means that, yes, there is battle. But sanctions won't stop Putin. And as for peace talks, that's useless. You know, I believe in peace talks, actually. I am not a war hawk. In fact, far from it, sir. And when you have two or more groups and they've fought a bitter bitter war, but each group, you know, are what I call honest brokers, where they're tired of fighting, then yeah, peace talks can work. The problem is Vladimir Putin is not an honest broker. He will see peace talks as time to re strategize And a distraction. If you notice, there were peace talks, alleged peace talks between Zelensky, Zelensky's representative, and Putin said a representative from the cultural department, which shows he wasn't serious anyway, last weekend. And they were trying to negotiate evacuation routes. And just as they were doing that, Russian troops bombed those same evacuation routes as refugees were trying to escape. And the refugees are predominantly women, children, and elderly. That's all you need to know about Vladimir Putin, period. He will never be an honest broker. The only thing he understands is force. And if you don't fight him now, it will be much more difficult later. And frankly, if you're worried about nuclear war, and I understand that, nobody wants that, what is the option? Are we supposed to just stand down every time Putin threatens to nuke something? Is that the answer that we'll just unilaterally surrender? Vladimir Putin needs to understand: he drops a single, a single nuke, even a small one, known as a bunker buster, and the, and we will retaliate, and it will be immediate, and it will be swift, and it will be final. Make no, no make no mistake about it. President Biden, Putin is a Nazi, period. And I really wish you would authorize a no-fly zone over Ukraine for NATO alliance, for NATO uh, nations such as ours and in Europe to tell the Ukrainians that we'll give you some humanitarian aid, but you're going to have to fight your own battles. What's the point of NATO then? You've left, they don't have much of an army. These are citizen soldiers that are totally outflanked. When will NATO get over its criminal cowardice and fight Vladimir Putin? I don't know the answer. Are they just going to wait until they, like they did with with Hitler? You know, are NATO nations going to be the 21st century version of Neville Chamberlain and wait until basically those tanks come rolling in and and roll down the Champs-Élysées? Is that what it's going to take? Or is it because they just figure we can just give Putin what he wants and he'll stop? But that's not how cowards like Putin think. They don't ever stop. So I pray, sir, you get some better national and get get some better national. I'm sorry. Let me start again. I'm a stutterer, also. I pray that you get some better intelligence people on your staff because you are being woefully misinformed. And at this point in time, I'm ashamed of NATO, and I'm ashamed of this country to let the Ukrainians suffer like this. No. This is wrong. What will it take? What will it take to stand up to the second coming of Adolf Hitler, namely Vladimir Putin? I don't know. That's our broadcast for today. Again, it's a live broadcast, so hiccups happen along the way. And with that, I say good night and God bless us.